Good morning. It's delightful to have all of you here this morning. You do an honor to each of us by coming. Uh, it uh, uh, was fun to hear the sermon this morning. I was writing our lesson on Paul's anthropological terms. Okay, we're up. Writing it on, on, uh, during the week when it occurred to me that I'm going to be doing a lesson on Paul and fellowship in about a month. That really fits in with Pastor Fleming's sermon series and the connection group emphasis that we're going to have this morning. Why don't I get with the program instead of being out of sync? And so uh, we interrupt our regularly scheduled broadcasted lesson on Paul's anthropological terms. And oh, the next one's going to be good. Um, maybe. <laughs> the material's good if I don't mess it up. Um, we interrupt this to speak about Paul and fellowship, which means next week you'll get to the other ones. Um, when I was growing up, I had a number of, of, in fact, I keep top five and top ten lists in my head. I can tell you the top five movies of all times. Um, I can tell you the top five albums that you want if you go to a deserted island and you're going to have to live there the rest of your life. I can tell you um, uh, a number of lists that just work in my brain like that. One of the things that I keep is a list of, of spiritual mentors or influences in my life. And I'm able to look back and identify them. It's important for me for a number of reasons. First of all, it's, it's, it helps me understand how, I, how, how God got me where I am today. But it's also important for me because... Uh, to the extent that, that I interact with anybody, you never know when you might be a spiritual mentor for someone else. So when I was growing up, I was 15 years old living in Lubbock, Texas, when a buddy named Rick Reynolds, guy I'd never met before in my life, graduated from what at the time was called Abilene Christian University. Rick moved to Lubbock because that's where his job was. I had a friend who was a college student who said to me one time, Lanier, you need to go to this new small group Bible study that's held at the home of this fella named Rick Reynolds. I said, cool, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I wasn't old enough to drive. Someone's going to have to give me a ride. But I got hooked into going to this Bible study. Rick came out of Abilene Christian at a time where Abilene Christian was a fomenting hotbed of what later came to be called contemporary Christian music. It's where Chris Christian was, Brown Bannister, Billy Sprague, a number of these folks, and, and one or two of them were really good friends of Rick's. And Rick was cool. I mean, I was a 15-year-old, and it was amazing to me to see such a cool guy who was into fellowship Bible study and singing to the Lord. When you're at 15, you need a cool role model who's a believer. Your role models don't need to be the people you typically see on TV. And Rick Reynolds was and remains to this day in the top five spiritual influences in my life. And it's because of the two years I spent in his Bible study. Now the choir's coming in. See, we've had to wait for them to really get into this. So y'all come on in. Make yourselves comfortable. The, um, the one song in particular that Rick sang came from Psalm 133. And I don't know how many of you know Psalm 133. 
but it goes, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. There were two things that struck me about this psalm that Rick would sing about. The first of all was the fellowship. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. The Lord's commanded a blessing of life forevermore. There's a, there's a specific blessing that draws from or in the presence of small group intimacy and unity. It's a very specific blessing. This is, by the way, if you're visiting or you don't know, this is our small group. <clears throat> this Sunday school class started out seven or eight years ago with about 50 people. And the pastors got me a little worried this morning. I hope we haven't dammed the exit door up where no one's allowed out. You know, we've built a dam there. Um, we urge you to, to go and, and to serve. I know we've got a number of people who are teaching preschool now and, and elementary school and middle school that have started this week. But um, uh, I loved this. I loved the proclamation of, of blessing on unity. The other thing that always struck me was kind of bizarre about the psalm was why it would be compared to oil on the head running down on the beard and the collar of the robes. I don't like oil on my head or my hands or I don't even tend to dip my bread in the olive oil. Though if I'm going to get oil, that's probably the way to do it. But it just seems to me like as an adolescent kid, especially I was spending my time trying to get the oil away from my face not pouring it on my face. And as for a beard, I couldn't grow a beard then. I can't grow a beard now. I've often wondered, precious oil on the head, what would I look like with a beard? I have no clue. But I've tried to... Every girl crazy about a shine as me I don't know, maybe that could be me, John Michael. I could get a beard like yours and... You know, that guy in the middle doesn't belong in this class, does he? Look at that. <laughs> Paul may have been ZZ Top's inspiration as John Michael is mine. <laughs> but not having the ability to do that left me wondering, but I could always hold on to the aspect of that psalm that there's something special about fellowship. And in that small group, I found out how special it was because I'm convinced from that small group study, I got a deeper walk with God, a deeper walk with God than I would ever have any other place. From that small group study, I found dearer relationships with godly people. From that small group study, I found an important support system. And because they were close to my age and yet older, I found a support system that gave me some ready answers I needed to problems that I faced. And it was a real blessing to me. It was because of that small group that I'm a more godly man today than I would be otherwise. I'm a better person than I am today. I think I'm a better Bible teacher. My first real consistent teaching was in that small group setting when I was asked to 
write and lead a 10-week study on the, the Paul's letter to the Galatian church. And so I've got these college students, college graduates, and a couple of high school students. And I worked so hard on that. But I found a love there that, that has, God has, has, has uh, fertilized and watered and, and brought to fruition. And so as we come together this week and we talk about Paul and fellowship, I want to do it using Paul's terminology. Paul has a number of words he's using, but I focused on one because our pastor has put it in the sermon today and he put it in the sermon last week. I thought he's kind of begging Lanier in this class to spend a little time with that term to make sure we can plumb the depths of what Pastor Fleming is telling us. So today we're going to talk about fellowship in Paul's terminology. Paul's word is koinonia. Koinonia. If you were in church this morning, you saw it. Inflow, outflow, that slide from Pastor Fleming. Okay, I'm going to help you remember how to say it, okay? We're going to have to elevate this because I'm going to not be able to do it. Koinonia. The first syllable is pronounced koi, like the fish. Got it? No, like no. Knee, like knee. And uh, like, uh. okay, so you got it? You got it? It's koi. Koinonia. Y'all are scholars. Okay, koinonia was a fantastic Greek word. And it's fun to look at from Paul's perspective because Paul took an everyday common Greek word. And he turned it into a Christian word that we use in sermons today. Paul took an everyday Greek word and concept and he put it under the light of God's word and he turned it into something special and unique. And that's pretty cool to me. That'd be like someone taking some modern word like, I don't know, what, posse or homie or something like that for buddy, okay? You know, my group, my homie, my whatever is, uh, my buds, my uh, um, peeps, okay? Y'all got any more words? And just writing it into sermons and lessons that God's going to incorporate in his eternal word, um, uh, uh, written word. Um, It's kind of cool. In the Greek, the, the core of the Greek word meant a sharing or something that's held in common. And that's the core of the Greek. Uh, but if you read Greek literature at the time of Paul, you'll see it being used in all sorts of different ways. You'll see it referring to a business partner. You're a koinonia, your business partner. You'll find it referring to an accomplice who helps you murder somebody. That's not the sense Paul ever used the word. And that's not what our fellowship's about. But that's what it was used. It was used for sexual intimacy, the, the act of sexual intercourse, a commonness, a sharing. It was used for schoolmates, your chum that you went to school with, your, your common friend. It was used for taxes that you paid the government. It was used for charity and, and things that you might give. As we've looked at a number of Paul's words in here, 
one of the things I've always wanted us to do is try to figure out, is this a word Paul was using from his Hebrew background? Or is this a word Paul was using from his Greek background? And you've seen me put slides up there where we discuss that. Koinonia is a word that Paul was using from his Greek background, not Hebrew. Koinonia is not a Hebrew word. If we go to the, the Hebrew Old Testament, which had been translated into Greek at the time of Paul, and we know Paul used the Greek, it was called the Septuagint, we call it the Septuagint. If we go to the Septuagint, koinonia is only used one time in the entire Old Testament. So Paul wasn't taking this word, and that's in Leviticus 5.21. By the way, I originally had written on your lesson Leviticus 6.2. But some really careful proofreader, and I don't like to call Dale Hearn out by name, some really careful proofreader pointed out to me in his lessons, he says, Lanier, you said it's Leviticus 5.21. Well, here's Leviticus 6. We'll bump up above 6 to 5. O.G. Lanier, where is Leviticus 5.21? And just how late were you writing the lesson? Okay, he's right. It's Leviticus 6.2 in the English Bible. But you'll notice on 6.2, actually this is 6.1 here, 6.2, you'll notice there's a footnote down here. Where is it? Um, da, 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 five, uh, oh, here they are, footnote 4 and footnote 5. Do you see those two footnotes? If we go down to the bottom... Those two footnotes, footnote four, will tell you in five. That's chapter five, verse 20 in the Hebrew. And then chapter six, verse one. So I was reading it in the Septuagint. So in the Septuagint, it's Leviticus 5.21. But in our English, it's not. It's Leviticus 6.2. Dale. The Lord spoke to Moses. Now, I'm going to read you this, and I want you to tell me where the word koinonia is. This is the guessing game, okay? Which one of these words is the Greek word koinonia? The Lord spoke to Moses saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a manner of deposit or security or through robbery or if he has oppressed his neighbor, blah, blah, blah. Now, which word? Neighbor. Wrong. Security. And you're saying, what? <laughs> okay, that's what I mean. Paul's not using it in the way the Hebrew Old Testament used it. A security in this sense is the sense of if I give Steve uh, 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 something to hold in trust for me, then it's something at that point we share in common. And that's the way it was used by the, the Jewish scholars who were translating the Hebrew Old Testament. But that's not what Paul's doing with it by any stretch of the imagination. So koinonia is not a Hebrew word. Well, you may be thinking, well, it was a word common in the church. No, it really wasn't. 
Koinonia, if you take, how many times did koinonia get used in the Bible, in the New Testament, and you throw it up there, Paul used it 13 times, every other New Testament writer put together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Luke in the book of Acts, Peter's first and second, first, second, third John, Jude, Revelation, all of that put to, the book of Hebrews, I'm not even counting that as Paul's, all of that put together six times. Paul more than doubled the usage of everybody else of this word. So we've got a unique Paul term that's a wonderful term that Paul grabbed from common use, put it under the light of God's word, and gave it a meaning which is wonderful for us to share today. And that's what I want to do. I suspect, though I have no proof for this, that Paul would have preached sermons on koinonia, at least to the Corinthians, because he uses the word with them so many times in so many targeted ways. So let's look at it. Paul and koinonia. Two aspects of koinonia that I hope we all can recognize as class goes through today. Aspect number one, koinonia means for Paul something that we all, and by we I mean believers in Christ, the church, the body of Christ, something that we all share in. It's as if we, we, we see coming from koinonia this idea that there's, there's a big uh, uh, body of things that we share in. Whoops, there, we can do that better that we share in. All of us share together in certain things. But koinonia is also used by Paul in a second sense. It's used by Paul in the sense of one person sharing with someone else. So we've got two senses. One, we all share together. It's some, koinonia is something we are all sharing in together, something we all hold in common, something we all participate in, but there's a second usage where it's something that we get to share with those who don't have it. First sense, we all have it and we share it. Second sense, we share with those who don't have. Make sense? All right, those are the two senses, so let's look at them. We're going to start with class with something we all share in. That's where we'll begin. Then we'll go to something we share with others. Something we all share in, what I've done is I've pulled out some scriptures, and I've tried to cover, I didn't proofread it carefully, you can ask Dale for his insight on this, but I uh, 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 tried to cover all of the passages where Paul uses it. I may have left out one or two, but not many. What we're going to do is a word study. We're going to look at the different places Paul uses the word koinonia. And we're going to try and understand the insight we can from that. First, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. If you're reading along the lesson with me, then you know the answers to these questions, and it's not going to be as fun for you to guess. But if you're not, I'll let you guess. Where is the word koinonia? Paul writes... God is faithful by whom you, plural, which means in we get, when we finally get to do the southern version of the Bible, that's going to say y'all, and we're all going to know when Paul means you, plural, versus you, singular. Y'all were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, where is koinonia? 
fellowship. I tricked you by circling y'all. I got a y'all over there. Into the fellowship, the koinonia of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this is the first example of that first area that I was talking about. Something we all share in common. A fellowship. Something that we all share in common is his son, Christ Jesus our Lord. If you know the Lord and you are a believer in Christ and you are a Christian, then in fact you share in the body of the Lord. Uh, uh, Pastor Fleming was talking this morning, or what we said last week when we talked, or the week before when we covered Paul's term body. One of the ways Paul uses body. The only writer in the Bible to use body of Christ as a synonym for the church is Paul. Nobody else does that. But, but the idea is we are the body of Christ. We share in it because we are of it. It's something we all partake of. It's something I have. It's something you have. It's something you have. We are all part of the body of Christ. By the way, that's got massive implications for how we treat each other. When I slam my thumb with a hammer, what do I naturally do other than a, a, a weird little dance step I've got down? The rest of my body comes to the aid of my thumb. It may be my feet running to Becky saying, help. But the rest of my body figures out how to aid that which is hurting. Because we're on the same team. We fellowship, it's something we hold in common. Same idea is in 2 Corinthians. By the way, um, 2 Corinthians, that was 1 Corinthians? See, that's where he preached one of these sermons on Koinonia, at least one. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Which word is koinonia? Fellowship. Fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It is the Holy Spirit. He is something we all share. If you're a member of the body of Christ... You have a fellowship, and I have a fellowship with the Holy Spirit. He indwells us, but more than that, we, we, He is part of who we are. You cannot be a member of the body of Christ without having also fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Lots of implications of that. We all, if you're in the body of Christ, we all have a fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now, does that make us all charismatics? Depends on what you mean by charismatic. And if you want to come back to this class, we'll talk about what Paul means because he's the one who used the word charismata so frequently in reference to the Holy Spirit. But in the modern sense that we use the word charismatic, no, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is in the sense that the Holy Spirit, whether it's, it's something that seems miraculous or something that seems mundane, the thrust is not there. The thrust is the Holy Spirit is something we share. And if you go back to John, you'll see the biggest thing about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says the whole reason Jesus sends the Holy Spirit is to bear witness to Jesus. 
So how could you be a part of Jesus if the Holy Spirit had not borne witness to Jesus within you? You couldn't. By the same token, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, the unforgivable sin, by definition, you're rejecting Jesus. Doesn't that make sense why that would be unforgivable? So you, 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 can't, you can't be a believer and not have the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's look at another passage. Again, Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. Uh, Paul says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Koinonia, which word? Participation. Paul uses koinonia here twice. We are participating in the blood of Christ. We are participating in the body of Christ. As believers, you cannot be a born-again believer of the Lord Jesus Christ without participating in his blood and his body. It, the, the, the saddest prophetic cry to me in the Bible. By people, have you ever found someone who said something really significant and didn't realize it? Usually it's you've stuck your foot in your mouth and said something you never should have said or shouldn't have said it that way or shouldn't have said it in front of that person. Um, sometimes it's a pun that you accidentally gave. One of the saddest statements to me in the Bible is when Jesus is, is, is arrested and Pilate's got Jesus in front of the people. And Pilate says, hey, it's the celebration day. I'm going to release somebody. Why don't I release to you Jesus? And, and they said, no, release to us Barabbas, which is ironic in itself because that's Aramaic, meaning the son of the father. Release to us Barabbas. And he says, but what am I going to do with Jesus? He hadn't done it. Crucify him. Well, he hadn't done anything worthy of death. And the response of the people was, his blood be on us and our children. They meant it like, we'll take the blame for killing him. But prophetically, his blood better be on us and our children or we have no chance at redemption. We share in the body, we share in the blood of Christ. We share in the body, in the church. Now, Paul's done something multi-leveled significant here. Because not only do we share in the blood of Jesus and not only do we share in the body of Jesus in the sense of the church, but the Eucharist itself is a participation in the body and the blood of Jesus. A recognition of the same thing. And it's something that's open to all in the church. And so this is again something that we fellowship, something that we share in or participate in. This is koinonia. Let's go further. Galatians 2.9. We're going to do this one fast because we're going to run out of time. Paul's talking about the apostles and his interaction with them when he went to Jerusalem. 
He says, and when James and Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me, or they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. What's our word for koinonia? Fellowship is the way they've translated it there. They gave to Barnabas and me the right hand of fellowship. Something we commonly share in the body is the way we work outside the body. When Pastor, Pastor Fleming was on a, on a uh, uh, crusade this morning, I, you can tell when he really feels something because he hunkers down and, and says it where everybody will hear it. He's on a crusade this morning because he understands a burning within him that to go out and to service the world, to serve humanity, to serve the way Mercy Corps does, to serve the way uh, other folks in ministry do, to go out and to serve the world is not the exclusive domain of the people who are on staff at a church or who are uh, living some monastic life or who are on staff at some nonprofit 501c3. It's not the exclusive domain of anyone like that, nor is it the exclusive responsibility. It's what the body of Christ does. It's a joint mission that all of us have. It's just a bunch of us may not be thinking about it right now. And, and that's okay. As long as someone's there to wake us up and say, start thinking about it. Maybe right now is not a time to serve big. I want to tell you, when you come to this class, to some degree you're serving. Because if I stood up here and it was just Becky then we'd stay home and we'd have our class over oatmeal and we'd come see Pastor Fleming and participate in worship. So you come here, you help serve because you make this class more what it is. But, but the right hand of fellowship, the, the, it's, it's something in common. The mission work of the church is something that's not exclusively the, Peter's responsibility or James and John or Paul's. It's something that all share together. I love Philippians 2 and the way Paul uses it here. Verses 1 through 5, let's look at. Paul says, John Michael, you have a song on this. I could have made you sing this one. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection, if there's any sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Don't do anything out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes into all that Jesus did. You know, he existed in the form of God, but did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he humbled himself, took the form of a servant, made in the likeness of men. And then he served and served and served, being found in appearance as a man. He gave himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that's what he's moving towards here. So my question to you is, where is the commonness here? Where is the fellowship? What word 
is koinonia. Any guesses? I can't hear you. Participation. That's it. If there's any participation in the Spirit, then please do dot, dot, dot. See, if, and we know there is, we know we all participate, we know we hold in common, we know the koinonia for us is the presence and, and work of the Holy Spirit. Now, that being the case, then why on earth would we ever act haughty? I want to tell you, you get in a small group Bible study or a small group fellowship, it doesn't need to be a Bible study, it can be a small group eating. One of my favorite ways to spend time in a small group. It can be a small group, whatever the function is, you get into a small group of fellowship. And it is, uh, um, it's amazing how differences melt away. Differences in education. You can find the most educated and most uneducated person loving and nurturing each other and serving each other in a small group. You can find the most sensitive and insensitive person. You can find people who are diametrically opposed in, in terms of emotional makeup, financial makeup, career makeup and you put them into a small group fellowship and God's able to work in ways that dissolve the barriers as they grow in love and as they count each other as more important than themselves all right we got to keep moving because we're going to go to small groups here in a minute not like break up you'll see just hang on don't leave um, Philippians 3 Later on in the letter, 8 through 10, an interesting passage. Paul says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, bear with me, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Which word's koinonia? Y'all are good. Sharing. That I might share his sufferings. It is a biblical concept that we share in the sufferings of Christ. That doesn't mean that we go back physically and do what he did. It means there's not one of us whose life is not challenged and made more difficult by the fact that we choose to follow him. The ethic that we choose, the love that we choose, the responsibilities that we choose result in hardship. Oh, it may be as big as martyrdom. It has been historically for some of the great saints of the church. But it may be something much smaller. But when it happens, you understand you're sharing. It's koinonia. I'm going to leave out two other references where Paul talks about don't fellowship with demons. He says don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Because you can have your koinonia where you choose. 
but it's to be with the Lord and the Lord's people. That's what's uniquely set aside for it. Now, those are the first section. Let's go to the second section. Second section is something, whoops, something we share with others. Remember that? Something we share with others are mostly going to be the passages where Paul talks about sending contributions. Again, 2 Corinthians to the Corinthians, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. He talks about, uh, we want you to know about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia in a severe test of affliction. Their abundance of joy and extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And he talks about how they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Taking part is the word for koinonia, or the translation of koinonia. They were taking part. Paul does it again when he talks to the Philippians about their partnership in the gospel, the way they helped Paul share the gospel. In Philemon, where he talks about the sharing of faith. In uh, 2 Corinthians, again, where he talks about the chance of that church to do fellowship with them by contributing the way the Macedonians had. The idea is that we have this great treasure. Some people say we connect to God vertically, first and foremost. And from that, we share in great treasure. But out of that, we connect horizontally and we take care of each other. And people use the cross as, an, uh, as a picture to symbolize it. So with that, I know it's 12 minutes early. You're not getting out yet, but I'm almost through. Next week, we're going to start talking again about Paul's anthropological terms, flesh, spirit, soul, mind, conscience. We still have to cover. Is man one part, two parts, three parts or more? Still have to cover. But for today, your point's for home. First, you were called into the koinonia of the Son. Koinonia starts with Jesus. It always starts with Jesus. What we share is Jesus. Y'all come on up. We're almost there. Second point, if there's any participation in the Spirit, any koinonia in the Spirit, Paul's saying, if there's any koinonia in the Spirit, then you ought to act like it. And then finally, in Philemon, he said, I pray that the sharing of your faith, the sharing the koinonia of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing. Father, it's our prayer that you will make us holy. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, make us holy. Work in our midst to, to, to see your mission completed on this earth. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. May we show you by the way we treat each other and the way we serve the world. This is our prayer through Jesus Christ. Amen.